I'd like to welcome all of you to our worship together this day. Again, we get to have a little bit of a unique service. And today we are celebrating the Hanging of the Greens service for this first Sunday in Advent as we prepare the sanctuary and our hearts and our homes for this Advent season for the coming of the newborn Christ. If you have decorations in your area, I invite you to either get them out and have them ready, or to, if they are already out, to place them in a place where you can see them. Or if you have a candle or some other small light, I invite you to have that with you. I will be uh, doing most of the readings for the Hanging of the Greens service, and I will offer a brief reflection since we will not sing all of the songs that are traditionally associated with this service. Let us pause to prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. Our Father, we long for the simple beauty of Christmas, for the old familiar melodies, words, and symbols that remind us of that great miracle when God, who made all things, came one night as a babe to lie in the crook of a woman's arm. But in that longing, let us even more yearn for your renewed presence among us, even as we celebrate and expect the coming of your Son. Before such mystery, we kneel as we follow the shepherds and wise men to bring you the gift of our love, a love we confess that has not always been as warm or sincere or real as it should have been. Now, as we enter into this Advent season, we pray that love would find its, would find its beloved and from you receive the grace to make it pure again, warm and real. We bring you our gratitude for every token of your love, for all the ways you have heaped blessings upon us during the years that we have gone. And we do pray, Lord Jesus, that as we begin this four-week journey of expectation and hope, we may do it in a manner well-pleasing to you. May all we do and say, every tribute of our hearts bring honor to your name, that we, your people, may remember your birth and feel your presence among us even yet. May the loving kindness of this Advent season and the true spirit of Christmas not only creep into our hearts this season, but there abide, so that not even the return to earthly cares and responsibilities, not all the festivities of our own devising, may cause it to creep away weeping. May the joy and spirit of Christmas remain with us now and forever. In the name of Jesus, who came to save his people from their sins, even in that lovely name we pray. Amen. The meaning of the service. As we begin the Christian year, we also celebrate the holy season known as Advent. It is a time when we prepare ourselves for the coming of our Messiah. Advent means coming. We celebrate these days of Advent in expectation and preparation for Christ's arrival. Through the centuries, Christians have observed a time of waiting and expectation before celebrating the birth of the Savior at Christmas. The Advent season is a time for reflection and preparation, but its mood is joyful. Advent has been enriched by Christian tradition to reflect its distinctive Christian meaning. It proclaims the revelation of God's love as expressed in Christ's birth in a humble stable, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his victorious resurrection. It points to the hope of Christ's coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Advent makes innkeepers out of all of us, asking each of us to make room for the arrival of Christ the King. Let us today 
Prepare him room in our hearts, in our lives, and in our homes. Lessons of Advent Over these next weeks of Advent, let us listen to the lessons of the years and the centuries, not just to impressions of the moment. The images in the biblical story are often discouraging. War, hate, famine, epidemics, a Caesar on his throne, a Paul in prison, Christians being persecuted. But now, after the centuries, Caesar is gone, Paul is a symbol of faith, and Jesus, the truth, and the light is reaching out to every nation. Let us, through the great traditions of our faith, join with the shepherds of Bethlehem, the wise men from the east, and the seekers throughout the ages, to welcome the one who came at Christmas. Let us at Christmas tide bring our gifts to him. May the message of our songs be glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to peoples everywhere. Let us pray. Stir up your power, Lord Christ, and come. By your merciful protection, save us from the threatening dangers of our sins, and enlighten our walk in the way of your salvation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, the second chapter. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come the mountain in the days to come the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills all the nations shall stream to it many peoples shall come and say let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that the Lord may teach us God's ways and that we may walk in God's paths for out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem the Lord shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to offer a brief reflection on this reading from Isaiah today. It's the only reading that I'll be doing from our lectionary series for our online worship since we have so many other things to read as a part of this service. So Isaiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and this, quite frankly, is one of my favorite passages, possibly my favorite passage from it. It comes up regularly in our Advent season. And I am always struck in particular by verse 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And the thing that I find most striking about this verse is that even though this is about how God's promised future is one of peace and no more war, plowshares and pruning hooks are still sharp instruments. A person could still accidentally cut themselves on one of them if they weren't being careful, and furthermore, in order to be useful at all, plowshares and pruning hooks need to be sharp to cut into the earth to plant seeds for food for people and to trim plants and trees so that they grow strong and healthy. Peace, it would seem, is not about a lack of sharp objects, but more of a distinction 
and what those sharp objects are made into and being used for. So many times we fall into the trap of grabbing swords and spears to cut each other down, whether with our words or our actions. We find it easier to keep our defenses up and to seek only to preserve ourselves and those things that we know are easy and comfortable. This is certainly true for us as individuals, but it is just as true for our country and the world around us. In this last week alone, there have been mass shootings at a nightclub in Colorado and a Walmart in Virginia, both which had at least six persons die. Globally, the war between Ukraine and Russia rages on, and the Iranian government continues to violently squash any protests against the current regime. We are so very quick to reach for the sword and spear. God, however, is inviting us and calling us to take a different path, to live a different way. God invites and calls us to take those swords and spears and to make plowshares and pruning hooks. God invites and calls us to a life of peace. However, this peace is unlike the peace we often think of. That is to say, peace where everyone gets along for the sake of getting along. No, God's peace is more transformative than that. Plowshares and pruning hooks are still sharp after all. The peace that God is inviting and calling us into is one we are asked to be cut open so that the seeds of deep love and forgiveness can be planted and flourish within us. This peace that God is inviting and calling us into is one where we seek to prune away self-serving and old ideas and assumptions that are unloving towards our neighbors. This is the transformative peace God invites and calls us into, and God began and completed this work in Jesus Christ, the one for whom we the one whom we wait for with expectation and hope this season. We cannot live into God's transformative peace of plowshares and pruning hooks on our own. We need the love and grace and transformation of Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose for us and has already brought this peace into the world and will bring it fully when he returns. This Advent season, we live into the hope that is ours in Jesus, the hope of God's transformative peace of plowshares and pruning hooks that is promised to us by a baby whose birth we are awaiting and comes to us through that baby's cross. May you know the transformative peace and hope that is yours in Jesus Christ this Advent season. Amen. We will sing together. Uh, we'll sing along if you, if you know the words or feel like it. The hymn, Awake, Awake, and Greet the New Morn.
The Sanctuary Evergreens The most striking and most universal feature of Christmas is the use of evergreens in churches and homes. Among ancient Romans, evergreens were an emblem of peace, joy, and victory. The early Christians placed them in their windows to indicate that Christ had entered the home. Holly and ivy along with pine and fir are called evergreens because they never change color. They are evergreen, ever alive even in the midst of winter. They symbolize the unchanging nature of our God, and they remind us of the everlasting life that is ours through Christ Jesus. Under Christian thought and sentiment, holly became widely used in church celebrations. Holly was considered as the burning bush, or a symbol of Mary, whose being glows with the Holy Spirit. The red berries represent the blood drops from the cruel thorns in the crown of Jesus. In Isaiah 60, verse 13, we find these words, The glory of Lebanon shall come unto you, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of your sanctuary. Our forefathers called the procuring of these evergreens, bringing home Christmas. The Christmas tree. Today, the Christmas tree is the center of our festivities. Glittering with lights and ornaments, it is a part of the beauty and meaning of Christmas. There are several legends and stories about the Christmas tree. The first use of the Christmas tree was in the medieval German paradise plays held outdoors and portraying the creation of humankind. The tree of life was a fir tree decorated with apples. Later, other ornaments were hung upon them, such as paper flowers and gilded nuts. In England, branches or whole trees were forced into bloom indoors for Christmas. From these beginnings, the use of a tree at Christmas was established. Martin Luther was perhaps one of the first to use a lighted tree. The story is told that on one Christmas Eve, Martin Luther wandered outdoors and became enraptured with the beauty of the starry sky. Its brilliance and loveliness led him to reflect on the glory of that first Christmas Eve as seen in Bethlehem's radiant skies. Wishing to share with his wife and children the enchantment he had felt, he cut from the forest an evergreen glistening with snow and took it home. He placed upon it candles to represent the glorious heavens he had seen. The use of a candle-lighted tree spread to all Europe. Then America came to regard it as the central ornament of Christmas. The Christmas poinsettia. Most Christmas greenery reflects European traditions, but one colorful plant, which looks like a flaming star, the poinsettia, is native to the American continent. It was named after Dr. Joel Robert Poinsett, 
an ambassador to Mexico who first introduced it to the United States in 1828. The people of Mexico and Central America called the brilliant tropical plant the flower of the holy night. The poinsettia is a many-pointed star that has become a symbol of the star of Bethlehem. The pyramids and advent colors. Both visual and performing arts have always been important to communicate the Christian faith. The use of music has helped believers understand, understand their godly hope. Other forms of visual art have been used from the beginning to help express various aspects of Christian doctrine and life. Colors, altar pyramids, or coverings, and banners are some of the most important visual ways Christians have used to express their faith in worship. The objective in covering the communion table with cloths of various colors was to help focus the attention of worshipers on the special nature of Christ as the perfect sacrifice. In the early days of Christian worship, Advent and Christmas were seen as a somber time, much like Lent is today. Purple table coverings were used to speak of Christ's kingship, but the mood was somber. As Christians began to share their celebration of Christmas with their non-Christian neighbors, they began to focus on the joy of the Christmas event. As the emphasis of Christmas began to change to one of joyful celebration, the color used also changed to express Christ the King in a more happy way. While purple is still used in some churches and at certain times, many Christian churches now use blue to speak of the kingship of Christ when the occasion is joyful. At Advent, we wait with anticipation and celebration for our coming Christ. The Advent Candles Advent is a time of expectation, and this is symbolized not only by the four-week period of preparation, but also by the lighting of an Advent candle on each Sunday of the season. The flame of each new candle reminds us, the worshipers, that something is happening and something more is still to come. The candles are arranged in a circle to remind us of the continuous power of God, which knows neither beginning nor ending. There is also symbolism in the colors of the candles. The blue candles symbolize the coming of Christ from the royal line of David. He is coming as the King of Kings, as well as the Prince of Peace. The large white candle in the center is known as the Christ candle and points to Jesus as the Christ, the light of the world. A progression is noted in the lighting of the candles of the Advent wreath each Sunday. Each candle symbolizes various aspects of our waiting experience. The culmination of this season comes as we light the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. We rejoice we join in rejoicing that the promise of long ago has been fulfilled. Today or whenever it is that you are worshiping, we light the first candle, and it reminds us that throughout history, God's people have spent time waiting wandering and wondering about the timing of God's eternal plan. Like the people of old, we long for God's presence to illuminate the areas of life where we are called to wait. This morning, we echo the words of the psalmist, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Nativity One of the most heartwarming expressions of Christmas is the Nativity. The Nativity speaks of the mystery of God's wisdom. 
Why God chose to send God's Son into our world as a baby of humble birth, born in common surroundings we do not know. What we do know is that God reached out to all people, including the poor and the wealthy, the simple and the wise, the powerless and the powerful, all who found God knelt in humility before the Lord. Knowing God is possible because God came to us at our level. Whenever we see a nativity, we find ourselves with Mary and Joseph, with the shepherds and with the wise men, bowing before the manger, overwhelmed by God's expression of love in coming to us. Gifts of Christmas From the beginning of Christmas celebrations, gift-giving has been a part of the season. The wise men gave out their treasures and the shepherds gave of themselves. Both expressed the gift of God in giving Christ as the Savior of the world. Unique in our history of generous givers is the story of St. Nicholas, Bishop of Myra and Lycia in the 4th century AD. He is reputed to have been wealthy, his emblem being three purses and three golden balls. This was the symbol of rich Italian families of his time. It survives today in the signs of some of our pawn shops. The good bishop gave his money away secretly to those whom he found in need. He was deeply interested in young people, giving his wealth especially to maidens whose lack of a dowry was affecting their matrimonial future, and to needy boys. Gifts from unknown sources were commonly attributed to him, and parents customarily gave him credit for their gifts to their children. The discovery of his generosity is said to have been made the father of three dowryless daughters. The eldest two each received from the chimney on successive nights a substantial gift of gold with her name on it. The father resolved to watch and see who their generous benefactor could be. His vigil revealed the good St. Nicholas as the donor of the gifts. His name survives today as the human embodiment of unselfish giving. Hanging up our stockings in pleasant anticipation of Santa's gifts may have originated from the fact that the maidens of this bishopric of Myra, needing and expecting a dowry from the good St. Nicholas, suspended a stocking to catch the money, the money purse the generous bishop was sure to drop down the chimney. And finally, the gift of Christmas. The greatest gift of Christmas is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. All that we do at this holy season points to that expression of holy love. Christ came as a babe in Bethlehem, God's gift at Christmas. As Christians, we seek to pass on our heritage to our children and to those who, by faith in Christ, become a part of the family of God. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mind that this gift goes on. And after... All of that, let us be gathered together as one by the Holy Spirit and pray together the words our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O God, you have caused this world to shine with the illumination of the true light. 
You have given us your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him to reveal to us your glory and grace. As you have been given this gift in love, may we receive it with joy. Grant that we, being regenerate and made your children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Grant us, we pray, that as we have known the mystery of that light upon earth, so may we also reflect that light to a darkened world. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May God direct your ways in peace, make you abound in love for one another and for all, and strengthen your hearts until the coming of our Lord Jesus. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. And we go in peace to share the good news. Thanks be to God.